Hello and welcome to Black, Brown, and Bilingue, where our mission is to unite the black and brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. The vision of Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Thank you for joining us again today. I am Lisette Jacobson, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm your other host. Welcome to another episode of Black, Brown, and Bilingue. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Lisa Jacobson, one of your hosts. And I am the Maurice McDavid, uh, another one of your hosts. <laughs> Lisa, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling great. Looking forward to the holidays, to Christmas, Dia de Reyes, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. It's, you know, you mentioned Dia de, les, uh, Dia de los Reyes. And um, I just want to say I, I did not know a lot about that holiday uh, until um, I got, was I was um, studying abroad in Spain. I know. Now, don't even roll your eyes. I, I always did, talk I about it. it. But you was going to on the inside you were. Um, I always talk about my, my studies abroad. But anyways, studying abroad and was in Spain for Dia de los Reyes. And they had a, you know, um, a parade and everything. It was it was incredible. Yeah. Um have you heard the Burrito Sabanero song? No. It's my favorite. And just know that it's Tuki 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 season. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. You got to hear it. Tuki 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 Tuki. <laughs> you got to hear it. It's my favorite Christmas song in Spanish. Okay. I'll, I will be sure to listen. My favorite Christmas song in Spanish. And then we're going to get to today's topic, well, which I'm excited about. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, but my favorite Christmas song in Spanish is, of course, Feliz Navidad. Prospero año. Now, here's why, though. It, it's the song that introduced me to Spanish. It made me feel like I knew a little bit. Mm. And so um, it, it boosted my confidence, I think, when I became uh, a second language learner. Wow. Yeah. So my son loves that. Uh, both of them, but especially, especially Maxwell, who is in a dual language program. And so to hear him say those few words in Spanish was like, yes, it was so exciting. Um, but I, actually, that kind of brings us to our topic for today, because I want Maxwell to be bilingual and bicultural because he comes from a bicultural, bi-ethnic, what would I call this? I don't know if I would say biracial, but bicultural household yeah so that is indeed an interesting uh topic so yeah bicultural i think makes sense uh, you certainly could argue by by ethnic we we talk about my wife and i certainly call our relationship an interracial relationship um, but but again, that gets into the whole history of it all. What is race and ethnicity and culture and language and, and how all of those things play out? Yes. And so I think what we should do, though, is start off with um, kind of our own experiences like we usually do on Black, Brown and Bilingue. So for those uh, listeners who may not know, could you give them an idea of, you know, the dynamics in your relationship? It's got to start with the fact that my mother was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Whoop, whoop. Two black parents mm -hmm. married until my grandfather passed away, which was before I was born. My mother, however, left the south side of Chicago and came to DeKalb. While she was married to my father, she attended NIU. Well, she initially came to attend NIU, got married to my father. And um, when they divorced, my father went back to Chicago and my mother stayed right here in DeKalb. And why is that important? Well, because when I was growing up, black people made up 12% of the school population. Wow. And the schools were not they were not purposefully put together 
like they are today, where maps include this neighborhood and that neighborhood in order to have some equity, right, and uh, amongst the schools. So I grew up going to Tyler Elementary School, Lincoln Elementary School, and being one of one or two black kids in each classroom. And then I moved to Eden's Gardens, which was one of our our um, subdivisions that uh, included housing and um, started going to Jefferson Elementary School, which at that time was over half black. So I bring all that to your attention because for me, having been born and raised here in DeKalb, I always felt very comfortable around white people. I always felt very comfortable around white people. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I go to a church that is interracial. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so all of that leads into that idea that, that I am indeed married to a white woman. Um, however, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it. Topic. The more that I stop and think about it, it's like, yeah, it's heavy. But I think I want to go back to our, I think, our Black Brown Divide episode where your auntie <laughs> said... All right, so so yeah, yes. To, to reshare that story, I, I had I had no hesitation about liking anybody who I thought was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So so I can think of a young lady by the name of Paris who was black. I can think of a young lady uh, by the name of Angela. And if if they ever hear this episode, they're gonna know exactly who I'm talking about. These were my people. They're still folk I talk to on Snapchat today. Um, but one young lady was a young lady by the name of Anna, and uh, we were in pre-K together and I just thought she was the most beautiful thing in the whole world and I came home and I told my auntie I said auntie I like this girl named Anna and I said her last name and it was clearly a Latino last name and my auntie snapped she said absolutely now you can't be liking the Mexicans you know they have like 500 babies and so that was really one of the first times that I thought about who who I date and what that would mean mm-hmm See, that's funny because I, again, have such a different experience. So I was born in the back of the yards neighborhood, um, Chicago. South side? (laughs) That's a different part of the south side. Back of the yards. And um, largely, though, I think Latino community, some African-American, definitely no white people. And then uh, we moved out to Waukegan. When I first moved there, there were more white kids. But as I got older, that started to to fade. And it was largely black and Latino. And that's what Waukegan is today. Um, but I had cousins that were living in other suburbs. And they all dated white guys. And I remember me and my sis- my siblings, we would ride them a little bit like, ugh. You didn't a white boy? Why? We just couldn't understand it. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to bite your tongue because karma is real or I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> because I saw up and down that I would never marry a white man. And here we are. My last name is Jacobson now. And so um, it was it was a journey and it was a lot of it still is sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to learn about one another. I mean, I think that's true for any marriage. But when you add that added layer of, you know, different culture, it it is it is different. It is unique um, and it can be challenging. So, Lissette, when when, you know, I want to skip I want to skip to that point in which things got serious with Brett. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your parents' reaction to that and his parents' reaction to that. Because in my experience, those were were different pages of the same book. Talk to me about that. Ah, This is, I'm about to air out some dirty laundry, right? Um, So when... First, it's funny, right? Because there's that language piece. So when I first told my mom his name, I, I still crack up thinking about it. I said, oh, mom, his name is Brett. And with her thick Mexican accent, she goes, Brett? Como el pan? 
white bread white bread <laughs> wonder bread um so i just remember laughing but she would always for a while she called him pan which is spanish for for bread <laughs> peter peter pan yeah and so <laughs> she um she would ask you know ay el pan como esta and it was really cute um but the first time I introduced Brett to my family in person. It was quite the experience because my my grandma just happened to be here visiting my dad's mom um, from Mexico. And the night before we had celebrated, I think Brett just had gotten out of the army. And, you know, so we had a fun night out and we were really, really tired, but we went to visit them the next day. And he walks in to like 30 people because it wasn't just my mom, my dad, my siblings. It was cousins and uncles and aunts because my grandma was in town from Mexico. And so he just got to meet everyone. And um, it was so cute. My grandma was sitting and he just happened to take the seat next to her. And she whispered to my aunt and was like, Ugh, I don't want to sit next to him. He's too cute. um so you know but but on the flip side and something that just makes me a little uncomfortable even thinking about it is i think they are all looking at me like yeah you did well you had a little wedito you had a little white boy you know like like i was marrying up and i wanted to be like hold up hold up i'm the catch here people let's Of that confidence. Good, good. Okay, so I'm sitting here like, no, no, ma'am, I'm definitely the catch here. But um, so there was a little bit of that. And I think it was um, a little irritating. And then with my friends, it was funny because all my girlfriends were like, girl, your man is white. Like they would whisper it to me. <laughs> like I remember I saw my friend Shaquita in um at the store. I ran into her and she pulled me off to the side into the next aisle. She's like, Your man is white. And I'm like, Yeah, I know, girl, isn't it crazy? <laughs> she was telling you a secret, like you didn't know it, huh? Right. But she just <laughs> she was so blown away. And now on the flip side, I remember the first time I met his family. And I pull up. And I don't know if Brett's going to be upset that I'm sharing this, but I pull up and he's in Spring Grove, Illinois. And I just remember driving, not knowing, you know, what to expect. I never had dated a white person before. It was uncomfortable. I was very, very, very aware of my brownness. In fact, I was like even very conscious of what I was wearing. I didn't want to be too loud. I didn't want my wardrobe to be too, you know, flowery. And I pull up and in the driveway is a red pickup with a Confederate flag in the back. And I remember just gripping the steering wheel like, oh, shoot. What have I rolled up on? Mind you, they live on like 10 acres. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere about to walk into this home that I yeah anyone but one person and I'm like if I come up missing who's gonna find me it was get out before there was a get out exactly so I just remember like you know and just being terrified to be honest I, I you know I remember walking up to the door and I'm like you could just turn around and go home like even up to me walking to the door I was like oh should I turn around and go back but, you know, I walked in and his parents were absolutely lovely. My in-laws are fabulous. Um, I did feel a little bit, though, of like. What's like fetishized? Is that can I say that a little bit, a little bit of that, like, you know, ooh, he's got this little Latina. And of course, I heard stories of them loving going to Mexico and the food and, you know, all those things. Yes, yes, yes. So many relatable <laughs> parts of, of this story. For me, my mother, first off, my mother told me I couldn't date till I was 16. So the fact that Samantha and I started dating at 14 
didn't count in her book. Mm. But as things continued on and things got serious, I saw part of my mother and Samantha would tell you the same story that she saw part of her mother that she didn't know was there mm -hmm. because it had not yet revealed itself. It, had, it hadn't manifested until it was necessary. But my mother at one point told me, and I, I you know, I'm, she's probably not going to listen to this, but if she does, it is what it is, I, because we've had a conversation about it now as, as grownups. She told me, this was a little while into dating and we were a little bit more serious. Uh, in fact, maybe heading towards getting engaged. And she said, you can never be a real black man Oof. without a real black woman. Oof. And um, that's something that, that I, I think about still to this day. And I love my mother dearly. I honor her, um, would do anything for her. And um, in fact, just got a chance to see her and, and spend some time with her. And, um, but I think that it hit me in that moment uh, that, that that was um, part of her upbringing. You know, she grew up in 1960s Chicago. Right. And so it, it, that made sense for her. That was something that, in fact, I remember she was dating this man by the name of Lamar, real light-skinned fella, real big light-skinned fella, loose curls. And um, he was black. We uh, went in to see my grandmother. This was before my grandmother had passed. And um, my grandmother leaned over to my auntie and said, uh, who's that white man that Janetta brought with him? Why does she do that? And it was a light-skinned black, <laughs> light black man, but, but grandmama wasn't having it. Again, grandmama was born in 1928. Yep. So there were certain parts, again, that, that, that just made sense. Now, my, my mother-in-law, who I also love dearly, sincerely one of my, my favorite people, um, I met her for the first time when I was probably 14 or 15 years old. And I uh, went over to their house and I ate dinner. And um, she said to me at the end of the night, she said, well, I'll be honest. When I found out you were black, I wasn't that excited. That is but, her too. It is. It is. <laughs> so direct. I love her. <laughs> but you seem like a good young man. You're a church boy. You play football and you seem to good good grades so as long as you keep your hands off my daughter we should be all right now um from that point forward we never had another negative conversation surrounding race in fact it's been now 17 years 17 years 18 years because that was october of, of of 2002 it's been 18 years and I've watched my mother-in-law grow tremendously in this area of, of, of understanding race and ethnicity and how it plays out. So I think that's, that's been tremendous. Now, you mentioned your friends. Hold up. Let me, let, before you move on to your friends, though, um, where's your mom at? And I also want to know, you know, that's a very loaded comment to say that, you know, you're not a black man without a real black woman. Do you still feel like that? I don't want to say haunts you, but is that something that you think about often? Do you feel like in any aspect of your life and any of the work that you do, has that propelled you in any in any way? So. My mom today you know, initially the, the issue that my mom brought up was that Samantha was not in church. She wasn't apostolic. Today, Samantha is a assistant pastor's wife, mm. teaches Sunday school, uh, knows the doctrine, right? I mean, is a Bible believing Christian right along with the with 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 my mother and I. And so that excuse has dissipated, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are still some culture differences between 
are just our families that I don't know are inherently based on on race, but there are cultural differences between our families that still from time to time show up and and can cause some of that that uh, disruption in their relationship. But I think she she counts Samantha as her own daughter. She loves her dearly. Um, she would not change it at all and obviously loves her grandchildren. Right. And we can get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put that on the back burner. Grandchildren change everything. Definitely. Uh, that being said, maybe about four and a half years ago, I think I was in my first year as a dean, had just graduated with my master's. And I asked my mother, I said, Mama, I, I don't know if you remember this, but you made this comment towards me. And um, I think maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, I was hoping or expecting for like a, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of you. And uh, instead, her response was basically, yeah, I did say that. Dang. And then we kind of went on with the conversation. So absolutely, it drives me. I, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. That's real. And I appreciate it. And that's that's what we're about, because honestly, that is real. And I commend you for admitting it. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I try to be a fairly open person. Um, and, and, I, and I hope that if there's a listener out there that can engage with this or relate to this, um, you know, uh, for, I, I think the, one of the reasons I got into education Mm-hmm. was was a desire to see the black community in a better place than it was and that's one of the things that still drives me today is to mm-hmm. see it in a better place than it is and and I feel like I have the opportunity to do that as an educator and now as a community leader and community organizer so so let me ask you this though then Two things. Number one, do you feel like you have something extra to prove? Like, do you do you feel like you have to at any point prove your blackness? And then number two. Do you feel like being married to a white woman? Hear me out. Has benefited you in terms of, you know, that for lack of a better word, white privilege by proxy. So I'll start there. Uh, obviously, white privilege by proxy is, is, is certainly a thing. Um, I think I have benefited from it uh, 110%. Um, I can think how of- so? How so? Yeah. So, you know, I think that there are times, uh, I'll give you a, just a, a small example um, where- uh, you know, we stop in a small town in the middle of the night and this, this may seem silly, but Samantha goes inside. I'm not stopping in a, I'm not going inside and in, into some gas station, um, in, 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 in Western Illinois, uh, in the middle of the night, Samantha goes inside. Um, I think, I, I think though that I, because I typically think about things from a black consciousness perspective, I would say that actually the reverse of what this kind of, of that privilege is sometimes what, what often comes to my mind and things that Samantha and I have open conversations about that, that fear that, in fact, there was a, a, a black elder in our community who said to me at one point, he said, you know what, Maurice, this was when I was working at the high school. He said, you know what, Maurice, and he, he's known me since I was a little kid, eight or nine years old. He said, you know what, Maurice, I, um, I was not sure about you. You went off, you, you know, you got your college degree, you came back in, you was married to this white woman. And, and you know, I was not sure, you know, what you were, were really going to be about, but you are one of the realest brothers I know out here and working on it from inside the system. Mm-hmm. And that's a comment that I hold on to deeply because actually I think about like, will I be less received as a black leader? Will I be perceived as someone who is a quote unquote uncle Tom? Will I be perceived as someone who, who has, 
a sellout. And, and it's interesting because I think it's an important part of the story that Samantha and I got married at 19 years old and we were both broke. I, I did not, I did not become a principal and then marry a white woman. Right. I did not, I did not become successful and then, you know, marry a white woman. This is the love of my life since age 14. Yeah. And we both were broke. Started from the bottom when we're here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but we are very aware um, that because of that, there are times where we're ultimately, I just got to show you. Yeah. I, I, I might not have the, the credit that comes along with walking in as a black couple. I might not be given that immediate credit. Well, because, you know, there's folks that say that <clears throat> had uh, President Obama been married to a white woman, he would have never been elected. There are a lot of people that have said that. Um, and so I understand kind of what you're saying with in terms of credibility, right? Like you've lost all like you lose all credibility in some people's minds. The moment. How could you be for the cause when you're married to a white person? Well, Lissette, I mean, talk about it. Your last name is Jacobson. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. Your last name is Jacobson, right? Uh, as opposed to your maiden name, which was Guzman. Mm -hmm. So, so, so have there been times where that has privileged you? Have there been times where, where maybe you have felt like I should hyphenate it or something? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It still is something that I think about. It's funny. When I was telling my mom that we were getting married, like when we were, you know, engaged, I was telling my mom that I was really considering uh, hyphenating my name. And I said, because, you know, down the road, I want to write books and I want to, you know, I had, I've, I still have all these aspirations. And I said, I want people to know I'm a Latina, but if they see Jacobson, if I'm writing about the Brown experience, I ain't going to have any credibility. Like she couldn't really understand that. Her only response was, quítate ese Guzman fail. I'm like, mom. <laughs> 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 I'm still convinced that had my mom been born here or came here at an early age, she probably would have swirled it up. <laughs> and I know you hate when I use that term, but yeah, she would have been a swirler. Um so do I think it has benefited me? Definitely. I think it's funny because I think it softens me up. I think it softens me up to people like the feisty Latina thing. You know, little do they know I'm as feisty as they come. Right. And so but I, I would agree with that. <laughs> thanks. But I think that in people's it makes me safe. I'm a safe Latina. I feel like if, if you were to hire me, it's like, check, she's Latina, and check, she's Jacobson, so she could play both sides. Definitely feel like it has um, benefited me. On the flip side... Can, can I pause you real quick? Sure. So I want to come back real quick for, for just a moment. You, you said that, that it makes you safe. And I think that that's an incredibly powerful thing. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that idea of being a safe minority? Yeah, I think I get viewed as someone who will not challenge the status quo, who will fit in very nicely into the status quo that will not rock the boat. Someone who you know, is very like aware and can easily fit into white normative work environments, you know? And so that makes me safe. I mean, and, I, and, and that goes along with, you know, I'm lighter skinned. So again, that white Latina with a last name like Jacobson, I think definitely makes me safe. But like you, there are more. And, and again, prior to meeting Brett, I was all about, you know, la raza and la causa and all of that. Like I was super into that. And that's actually what got us talking. Brett is very intellectual. He's very, very smart. And we would have these long, long conversations. And I would tell him about the systems of oppression. And that's where our relationship really kind of started talking about these things. And, um, Likewise, like what I started to say, though, on the flip side, he, I feel, has benefited 
from being in a relationship with me because um, he is a social worker. Uh, most of his uh, career as a social worker was from him working at a prison where unfortunately a lot of his inmates, you know, were of color. And so he's able to speak on and connect to and relate to people who are not white because of the experiences that he has had, not only with me, but with my family and my friends, because my group of friends are very diverse. And so I think, you know, it's a mutually beneficial dynamic, obviously not why we got into it, but I, I still think as not only as a woman, cause you talked about how you were broke. Same, you know, I think people think that Brett and I talked about this, that I probably got with Brett as like, you know, a gold digger or um, no, that that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I've always been a very ambitious person, so I've always been driven. But yeah, I think that that's still something that I, when I walk into a space, I am very aware of the fact that my last name is Jacobs. And even right now as a principal, you know, I make sure I speak Spanish and I, I'll even joke about it. Like, See sí, mi apellidos Jacobson, pero soy Guzman. Like I always, you know, have to say something so that they know, you know, if I'm being honest, yeah, like I do sometimes think about it impacting my cred. Which is which is so interesting that the the, the credibility piece, because I think where where we what we really mean by that is the credibility within our own communities. Yes. And so when we talk about an interracial or, or uh, bilingual or bicultural relationship, I think it's often talked about from the perspective of the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that it's important that we recognize that there is just as much stigma surrounding this inside of the minoritized communities. A hundred percent. My my brother, uh, who who I think perhaps is an extreme case because he's a member of the Nation of Islam, and and one of their um, principal tenets is that the white man is the devil. <laughs> I love how you laugh. <laughs> um, it makes it made family events awkward in the early years because there was me. Right. So there were our religious differences, but all of those aside, we then had these, this, this social situation in which I was bringing in this woman who I was in love with and married to, who happened to be white. And my brother was bringing with him an ideology that my wife was in fact, the product of the devil. <laughs> and so it was, um, it, it, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, I think about when we were dating in high school and I was uh, the president of the black student union, um, there were people inside the BSU who was like, nah, I don't know if we can even trust this. I mean, folk I had grown up with, folk that were my people. Um, you know, and, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. In fact, there was one young lady in particular who you suggest, I mean, just come at me all the time. Now, later come to find out, she had a little bit of a crush on me. She won't admit it now. We used to work together in the school. She's a social, uh, she's a counselor, but she's moved on now uh, to another state. Anyways, so she had a little bit of a crush on me. So that was maybe one way to kind of antagonize. Um, but today she's married to a white man. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, it's when I saw that, when I went to their housewarming party, I pulled her aside. I said, girl, if you don't apologize for every day of junior year, every day. Here's the thing. Like, I think for the Latinos, it's a little different, not across the board. Again, we're not a monolith. So I don't want to, you know, sit up here and pretend that I'm speaking for everyone. But even with my students, my Mexican students, they looked at me as if I'd done the right thing that I had married up and that, you know, white is right. It's the way to go. 
And, you know, these are children. So, you know, they have to be hearing this somewhere at home. And that made me incredibly sad. And so I, and this is when I was working with eighth grade students. I did have a couple of girls who would just say like, ooh, you know, a white man, un huerito. Blanquito. Un huerito is what they would say, right? That I, I had to be very, very clear and say, I would have married a Mexican man. I would have married a black man, an Asian man. It just so happens that the person I fell in love with was white. And so, but I, I found myself being really, really bothered by that, that here I am in a place where I can influence other people. And when, you know, when you're an educator, who you are as a person does, you know, creep into the classroom and you bring in that identity with you. And obviously my name is Mrs. Jacobson. It was obvious. And so I had to be very explicit on, you know, I just happened to fall in love with a white man, but I would have been just as happy with a Mexican man or, or wherever. You use the word bothered. I want to use the word frustrated. It was frustrating. Yeah. When I would hear young black men at the high school and middle school level say, I will only date white women. Mm. It was frustrating. You know who it frustrates perhaps most is my wife. <laughs> my wife gets so frustrated when young men in our youth group would say, oh, no, you know, I only, I only kick it with them white girls. And my wife was, stop it. That's not, it's, it's not, because at a deep level, somewhere in there, in their subconscious, we have, as Kanye once said, been taught to, love their wealth and hate ourselves. And and so yeah, you want to be quoting Kanye right now though. He's kind of a bad example. <laughs> I, I I refuse to acknowledge them as the same people. The artistry that he made, that's why I can still watch uh uh, uh certain uh, folk and still laugh at the work that they did. I, I'm able to have some nuance, you know, and, and separate. So anyway, Connie, Connie, because Connie's point is well taken. Stop it. How can you say all black women anything? Mm -hmm. Your auntie? Your mama? Mm -hmm. Your sister? Is that who you're talking about? When you say all black? So so it was something that, that was incredibly uh, frustrating for me. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, I don't want to put words in Samantha's mouth, but she's also raising two beautiful, beautiful biracial little girls that to the world, they're going to be viewed as black. I kind of want to get into that next step, right? Because we're both, we both have children and, you know, when you think of the intersectionality and the dynamic for my kids, I think, is very different than for your kids. My kids, for example, are very white passing. And um, their names are Maxwell and Christopher. Christopher goes by Miguel because he knows the deal. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting because the, for the most part, you know, they will be white passing. And for me, that has huge implications in how I raise them. Like even just thinking about it, I'm like, oh, you know, although real quick, I'm gonna insert this microaggression that I experienced. I was at work one day and there, I have a picture of both of my boys. And to me, they look just alike. They look like me, but I'm holding them and Maxwell, this summer in the picture, played baseball. And he looks a little bit more tan than the other one. And this man said to me, oh, are those your, your kids? Do they have the same father? I couldn't believe it. Oh. oh. Literally, do they have the same? He is lucky I didn't kick him out of my office. You know, but for the most part, aside from when Maxwell gets a tan, he could be white passing. Um, like, I want to make sure that they know that they're super brown. <laughs> and I 
to rationalize, well, I'm the mommy. I carry them. <laughs> They're Mexican. But, I, you know, all joking aside, I do want them to embrace that side or I do. I get nervous, like especially with the language piece. And are they going to embrace Spanish? That's why we are putting them in a dual language classroom is deep. But for you, I feel like your dynamic is a little different. It certainly is uh, a little different. And, and I because I, I think I hear uh, very much so what you are saying. I think the similarities will be that they will be very much so aware of being bicultural. Mm-hmm. And so they will, even if they could pass, they will experience at least within themselves, right, um, that, that self-revelation, right, and, and really trying to figure out what um, and how they will carry and express themselves in this world. Um, my children uh, could begin to talk to you about the one drop rule. My children um, probably... I think um, particularly in, in some of the circles that I travel uh, as a, as a Bible believing Christian, as a, uh, a member of, of what would probably be considered part of it, the evangelical movement. Um, uh, you know, my wife and I are like radicals in, in that circle. Um, we, we, I was just kicking it with one of my buddies who's a police officer and he was uh, making fun of us for being liberal and in all of these things. And I said, yeah, you know, I guess loving people is liberal. And, you know, Jesus was pretty liberal for doing that then, right? But anyways, that's neither here nor there. My children, I think, are very much so aware that, you know, we teach them that first identity uh, is that as of a, of a follower of Christ, but the identity that they may be perceived by first, Right. What you get to control is, OK, I'm going to be Christ like. But what people may perceive first before you get a moment to shake hands, to be kind, to be respectful, to be gentle, loving, caring, all of those things. They may see you and say, oh, um, he's black. Mm-hmm. She's black. Her hair is not like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I'll give you an example. My, my daughter just turned eight. And she wanted, because it was her birthday, she wanted her hair straightened. And she is beautiful. She is, both my little girls are just beautiful. And and, um, that being said, uh, I always, I'm always worried in the back of my mind. I'm like, I don't want them thinking their hair has to be straight Mm. to be beautiful. And somebody said it to me and, and really changed my whole perspective. They said it to me in passing. I, I think it was um, uh, uh, one of the um, ladies at our church because uh, I was telling her about it. And, and she, this is an older white woman. And she just said, right, it's just another way for them to be beautiful. And I loved that perspective, that it's another way for them to be beautiful and that they can know that, that straight hair, curly hair, is not what will define it one way or the well, other. And as women, we can be a little fickle. I mean, I hate to typecast us, right? But if we, some of us have curly hair, we wish we had straight hair. I have straight hair. I wish we had curly hair. I mean, it's also part of that, you know, but I, but I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. My, that, that beauty standard. Yeah, I, I just, standard. I particularly because they're going to look at their mother mm-hmm. and their, their mother could curl her hair for 12 hours with hot curls and that curl is going to fall an hour into dinner, right? So again, like you're talking about, she wants it to have a little curl to it. Um, but, but I, I do think oh, well, about I can those show things. You a trick, Sam. Just give me a call, girl. <laughs> there we go. Well, appreciate the connections. Appreciate the connections. But you know, as I hear you speak, you know, how many other people are out there? You know, with our country, and really, I think more and more of the world is diversifying. And there are times when we see things happening in the media and in the world that Brett and I will look at each other like, Ooh, thank goodness we're contributing to this, you know, uh, new landscape, so to speak, because um, I, I think it's going to continue to go in that direction. The more that we uh, get to know one another and are willing to listen to each other. I think we talked about it too, where, you know, when we had some of the protests this summer and this year, 
they've become increasingly diverse. Um, I'm very hopeful in that aspect, but I would be very interested in having Brett and Sam on the next episode to talk a little bit, you know, from their perspective, you know, what has it been like marrying, you know, two people of color? I think it would be, yeah, very eye-opening for our listeners. Um, and Brett, I don't, Brett, uh, Lissette, I don't know about you and Brett, uh, but Samantha and I, um, we engage in that conversation directly with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we talk about ideas of, of whiteness and what it means for each of us to be married to the other and what, in what ways that benefits and in what ways maybe that has created some roadblocks. I'll, I'll share with you one of the, one of the things that my mother-in-law said to me when we were going to be married was she said, you know, I just want you to be aware that there will be people who do not like yeah. the two of you together. Uh, and so I think that w- we've always had that open conversation um, uh, be- between the, the, the two of us. So I'd, I'd love to have them on. Um, I'd be interested in hearing, um, hearing Brett's perspective because he's always a very, very profound, um, quiet, um, but, but th- maybe we can get him, get him talking. No, yeah, he is very profound. Again, like I said, when that's that's really where our relationship blossomed because he was so profound and we would just talk for hours and hours, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, I, you know, we do talk about it, so I kind of know what he would say. Uh, but if I'm completely honest, there were times where I feel like he wasn't riding hard enough for the, you know, for brown folks, but then that could have just been me being extra. So uh, I'll be interested to hear, you know, how he, he feels and how he would describe it. That's funny. You say that because there have been times where I've had to look at Samantha, like since when did you join the black Panther party? (laughs) Because, because she's, she's willing to go to that next level. And I've, I've called her out uh, at some points. I've said, listen, I think I've heard it a couple of times too. I can't, I can't, I can't do this right now because I've carried this all day. And I think that that's been a point in which we, we've grown as a couple is her recognition that, that she can talk about it, but then she gets to walk out into the world as, as a white woman. And I get to talk about it and I carry it with me as I go into the world as a black man. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I've just had to say sometimes like, hey, baby, I appreciate that, that you're with me. I appreciate that, that, that you are, you know, engaged in this conversation, but I can't do it right now. Mm-hmm. I've already, I've already, you know, this is, this would be conversation 13 for the day yeah. because everybody wants to come to me and say, Maurice, Maurice, man, I really, I really appreciate, you know, our relationship and respect you. What's your thought on this? Hey, Maurice, right. Maurice, has anyone told you you speak like President Obama? On that note. So um, as we do, you know, yeah. tradition, if you want it or what is the one thing that you would want our listeners to walk away with from this episode? So number one is, is just know we're going to come back and we're going to bring our spouses with us. So, so know that this isn't really done yet. But for the sake of today, uh, of our listeners that are with us right now, what I really want you to know is that I was in love. <laughs> like, that's it. Like, I felt quick. I felt quick. I was like 15 years old telling, telling her, like, hey, I love you. I was, matter of fact, at 15... Uh, I was convinced that I was going to marry her at 16 when, when she uh, got baptized and, and received the spirit. Um, the, I felt like the Lord told me right then and there, this is going to be your wife. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, and I could, we didn't get to it today, but I could tell you there were, there were some folk uh, in the church who were not in favor of this. Ooh, that's a whole, you know? Um, so, so, um, but I, I felt like, and, and I, I just feel like, you know, 
I guess that's what I want you to know is um, I was in love. I am in love. And Lord willing, I'll continue to be in love. And I'm not going to let anybody's prejudice get in the way of that. Oh, that's beautiful. I don't even know if I want to finish with my final thought. How can I follow that up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think for me, for anyone who is maybe in a, you know, biracial, bicultural, bi-ethnic, mixed, you know, whatever relationship, I could have very easily allowed that Confederate flag on the back of that pickup truck to, you know, turn me away. But kind of like you, Maurice, I saw something in him. Literally, he made me weak in the knees and I stumbled. Like, I literally was walking down some steps one day when we were talking. And he kind of just looked at me like, what happened? And I was too embarrassed to say, but he made me weak in the knees and I lost my balance. Um, So I think that's why I walked through that door, even though I was terrified terrified and so i think really ultimately what it comes down to as cliche as it may be is you know love conquers all and um you and i and our relationships i think are a true testament of that beautifully said and i'm hoping um that as we continue to move forward as a nation and as a world that there is more of that Mm -hmm. um because I think it's, it, it, it adds uh, something um, wonderful to, to our world. It's been uh, another great episode. We want to thank you all for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, uh, please be sure to come back. I think you're really going to enjoy the episode, uh, the next episode, in which we are going to have our spouses come and converse with us. Um, so come back, be a part of it. Um, for Black, Brown, and Bilingue. I'm Maurice McDavid. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Lisette Jacobson, your other host. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Okay.